When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833 833- 995 gold that's 833-995-GOLD, 833-995-G-O-L-D. If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, Monday edition. I hope all of you had fantastic weekends. Congratulations to Buck Sexton on bringing a huge victory to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish as they trounced Southern Cal on Saturday night. Buck, I know that you and your fellow... South Bend, Indiana denizens were extremely excited over that outcome, and I appreciate the fact that you took it right to SC. Can I just say, it seems clear to me that I am a lucky charm for the Fighting Irish. Very well said. Uh, maybe perhaps you are preparing to be a dad with that incredible dad joke to start off the week. Uh, we've got a lot to dive into. Let me give you a, a, a headline uh, kind of rundown of where we're headed. Senator Ron Johnson, our buddy from Wisconsin, I think the last time he was on the show was in Milwaukee uh, when we were up there for the first Republican presidential debate. He'll be with us updating us on the goings-ons in D.C. By the way, 104.7, we will be in our D.C. affiliate location on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. We'll give you the latest On the ongoing battle for Speaker, as Jim Jordan, friend of the show, tries to lock up his official support as he is the only candidate that I have seen so far uh, that is declared and remaining standing uh, in that great Speaker battle. At 2.30, Julie Kelly will join us for the latest on all of the Jan 6 shenanigans in D.C. As well, there was a very flattering uh, long biography piece on Judge Chutkin, uh, in New York Times, which I read. I can't even remember if I read it last night or this morning, Buck, but, uh, you would think that she is, uh, an absolute paragon of virtue. If you read, probably it's gotta be like 3,000 words. I mean, it was not a short biographical profile. They are giving her the 
hero treatment that they gave to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and others in the judicial movement on the left. So that's preparation for what they think is coming, which is Judge Chutkin on the front line of the anti-Trump resistance. With that case still scheduled, we should mention, to start on March 4th, less than six months from now, thereabouts. Um, so uh, so that is on the horizon, right about time the Republican primary will be officially determined, uh, the nominee. Uh, but, Buck, over the weekend and continuing basically since Saturday, what has been dominating the entire news cycle is the situation in Israel, the actions of Hamas, the response of Israel what is and is not appropriate, uh, and uh, the fallout continues all over the United States and, frankly, around the world. And I know, like many of you, uh, it has been staggering to see the amount of public outpouring of support that has come in for Hamas and Palestine all over the United States, but also around the world in many Western democracies, as you are beginning to see that I think, Buck, maybe the biggest takeaway for me so far from an American perspective is you and I talked on this program quite a lot uh, about 9-11. You went into uh, serving the country as a part of the CIA to try to catch the bad guys after 9-11 to ensure that those uh, kind of scenarios did not continue to occur. But we've talked about on this program what would happen if America experienced a modern-day 9-11, if Islamic terrorists decided that they wanted to take action, killed 3,300 Americans, essentially, in this modern era. And I think what you've seen is there would be 20% of Americans that would say the United States is to blame. We aren't innocent. They would engage in moral relativity. They would not look at actual good and evil. And I think this is maybe the biggest flaw that we face in the United States. There are a whole lot of people who spent the last seven years screaming that Donald Trump and his supporters were modern-day Nazis and that they must be silenced and they must be defeated or American democracy was going to give up the ghost. And now that we have seen 1,300 Israelis murdered by modern-day Nazis, they can't even buck condemn actual violence as much as they did words that made them uncomfortable during the Trump era so far. There is an element here of a wake-up call for a lot of people that I think had assumed uh, in the aftermath of something this this heinous and brutal, there would be a unanimity based in the most fundamental moral truths. And instead, you have a lot of people who are uh, trying to you know, mitigate the, uh, idea of, uh, Hamas as a, as a terrorist entity, argue that it's not even a terrorist entity. You're, you're seeing these protests all across the country. What's, what's about to happen as this invasion, uh, is, is imminent. The Israeli ground invasion has not started yet, but it could start while we're on the air here. It might be a few days. Uh, it's not quite clear. Uh, the, Way this works is Hamas try Hamas tried to kill the maximum number of Israelis in a terrorist attack and is now going to try to instigate the maximum number of civilian casualties of its own people in Gaza. Uh, this is why Hamas is telling people to stay behind. Israel has over the weekend they even gave I think a three hour 
amnesty, if you will, for a primary road to allow people to evacuate in safety with no strikes and nothing happening to get to the south of Gaza. Uh, there's going to be some brutal street-to-street, uh, house-to-house fighting that occurs here. I think we have to assume that Hamas, the same way they prepared for two years for this massive terrorist attack, I think they've also been preparing for what is now going to be a um, uh, effectively a guerrilla warfare campaign in the rubble of northern Hamas. That's what they'll be fighting, an, an insurgency of sorts. There are some major questions that still hang uh, in in the background of all of this. Iranian involvement, is Iran going to get much more involved? It has numerous proxy forces in the region where it could turn up the heat and the violence without necessarily having you know, Iranian planes in the sky or Iranian soldiers as such uh, on the ground. Why hasn't Egypt opened the border with uh, with Gaza and allowed for evacuation of refugees? There are answers to that question, by the way, and we could spend some time on it. Part of it is this region has been absorbing Palestinian refugees for decades, and uh, sometimes those Palestinian refugees end up causing problems. Go look at what happened in Lebanon and look at what's gone on, um, you know, historically. So they don't want that. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want the resource drain. They don't want the headache. But at the same time, they're supposed to care so much. Egypt is supposed to care so much about the Palestinians and their cause, as all Muslim states are supposed to care. So, Clay, we, we have a lot of uh, a lot still left to be determined here. And uh, the, the one part of this that I think has been other than the, the initial shock of the brutality and the violence is the the, the size and scope of the. The group that is both, it's a combination of anti-Semitism and anti-colonialism and sort of woke anti-racism. That mentality all comes together for some people with the Palestinians and completely blinds them to the most obvious realities as to what's really happened here. There's an editorial in the New York Times addressed from the perspective of Jewish liberals who are suddenly looking around the Democrat Party and recognizing how many people actually despise them inside of the Democrat Party? And this got me thinking, Buck, I'd like to open up phones on this. 800-282-2882. We talked about this last week. Roughly 65 or 70%, depending on the tallies, of Jewish voters regularly vote Democrat. That is a, you know, plus 35, plus 40, plus 30 margin in favor of Democrats. Now, it's a relatively small number of people in the grand scheme of things. And much of those voters, Buck, are cloistered in New York and in California, big cities like L.A. and New York Southern Southern Florida. Southern Florida, where you are. Uh, I I guess my point is, I don't know how many Jewish voters are truly in toss-up states where their votes, we've talked about this, uh, are, are likely to swing an election one way or the other, although I would think there's a decent population of Jewish voters, certainly in Pennsylvania, uh, certainly in so, Michigan and in uh, in the Midwest in Wisconsin. I mean, I, I worked for Dennis Ross for a summer as a research uh, as a research assistant back in 2001, right after 9/11 that summer, at the uh, Washington Institute for Near East Policy, and he re- he was Clinton's negotiator for the. Uh, Arab-Israeli peace process, what was then called the Arab-Israeli peace process in Clinton's second term. He was writing a book. I was doing basic fact-checking on it. This is back when I was in college. It was like a college kid summer job. But, you know, I had Ambassador Ross. I was, you know, in his office and talking to him all the time. And 
one thing that has not changed at all on this issue is how um, dug in people are ideologically on this one, meaning the people that are pro-Palestinian. You cannot, you cannot break through. You cannot explain to them that Hamas goes too far, that there's something... They, Even they, with all these videos out, Buck, it, they're still... I mean, they, babies being slaughtered, grandmas... Play, there I are mean, people that, that deny it. Yeah. Um, but as for how the votes go, I'm, just, I'm, I'm bringing up, you know, so I, I first dealt with this issue in some kind of a professional, you know, I was a college kid, I'm not trying to overstate it, but, you know, in a, in a, in a direct context, and went to a lot of these think tank meetings about specifically Israel-Palestine. You know, I spent a whole summer doing this. Um I do not think that you'll see uh, vote change as a result of this because you because you haven't seen vote change as a result of this. There have been multiple intifadas. Uh, people vote, you know, uh, Amer- the American Jewish community votes the way that they vote. I, I think largely irrespective of what happens uh, with any specific administration on this issue, because basically Democrats and Republicans at a policy level are pretty united on support for Israel. Yeah. So they don't really. What I'm saying is, there's this like, there's the 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 squad far left stuff and the campus stuff. A lot of the American Jewish community is like, okay, well, we all know they're crazy, but we can trust Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, etc. on yeah. Israel. They believe that, and so that's why I don't think you see a change in the voting pattern. It's the same. We you, you caught you caught all this too. Remember, Biden was very slick. To not go with any, he, you could not hit him with defund police in 2020. Yeah. You know, he sort of pandered, but he never, he never went along with that because he knew. So, you know what I mean? It's. Yeah. I, I, I am genuine. I mean, I read that New York Times editorial. I'm curious. I was just going to throw it out there for people who are Jewish and are listening to us. Uh, you went to a synagogue this weekend. Uh, maybe you had conversations. Certainly you have with a lot of friends and family. I'm curious what the reaction is and whether you are hearing people who may don't pay. I think a lot of this is, Buck, if you're 75 years old and you have been voting for one party or the other for your entire life, it's like being a fan of a sports team. You just kind of are locked in and you aren't really paying attention to the particulars all the time. I wonder if this is moving. I'm just curious, conversations that are occurring in the Jewish community, if you are listening to us right now, you got liberal friends, you got people who aren't even particularly political, but just show up and vote Democrat. Is any of the are any of those conversations shifting uh, lines? Are there conversations that you are even surprised to hear? I I, I think that uh, one thing is you know I've lived in two of the most heavily concentrated Jewish communities in the whole. I mean I grew up in New York City um, where yeah. there are more Jewish Americans. I believe more Jewish Americans in New York City. Then there are Jews in Tel Aviv. I think that number might be right. More Jews in New York State, I believe, is the number than Israel. Um, so Isn't that the number close to it? I think. That, that stat, I don't know. The team can check that one. But I think there are more uh, Jews in New York City than there are in Tel Aviv. So most of, uh, I'd say, you know, most of or a good chunk of, of my, my closest friends growing up um, were, were Jewish. And a lot of the people that are dear friends of mine in our business in South Florida currently are are Jewish um, and I can tell you this attack, what I gather from them, and they've basically said as much, this attack took them to the worst, darkest places of anti-Semitism in our history because this wasn't a military strike for leverage. Yep. This was an act of we want to exterminate you. We want to kill all of you. That's what Hamas was saying with this terrorist attack. 
It's not, this is not even Russia, Ukraine. As I've said, Russia, Ukraine, Russia is not looking to exterminate all of the Ukrainians. They want control and they'll kill a lot of people and they'll bomb, you know, you know, it's, it's war. It's horrible. This Hamas attack was meant to send the very clear message that Hamas's goal is to kill every Jew in the state of Israel if they are capable of doing so. And that, that is psychologically deeply unnerving for Jews in Israel and all over the world that that could even exist in this day, given the history. And that's what I pick up from my closest Jewish friends. I think that's 100% true, Buck. And then there are legitimately conversate, I mean, legitimately protests where protesters are saying our goal is to exterminate the Jews. And they're saying it openly without fear. I, and, I, and you think about this, who, what, what group? You know, we always do the what if this was some other group. I, I don't, I don't know of another group where on a college campus you could get anything like these numbers of people to agree with, which is why, again, it comes back to this is a huge reminder, really a shockwave through the minds of all paying attention around the world of the depths of, of uh, anti-Semitism. Um, it's something that we're I, – I, I, if we have um, – I know we have a lot, but listeners – uh, from the Jewish community in this country, um, please do give us a call. Tell us what your thoughts are on this, because we, we would like to hear from you. 800-282-2882. Um, and also, Clay, we should discuss some of where, where Biden is on this, um, because there are some decisions that are going to be that are being made right now could have a real effect on this conflict. So we'll get into this in a second. But give us a call, team. Are you on a fixed income? You'll benefit from an investment that delivers consistent returns without compromising your financial security. Phoenix Capital Group offers high-yield corporate bonds with annual returns of 9 to 13% paid out monthly. With 3,000-plus satisfied investors paid on time every time, Phoenix Capital Group is providing investors a new high-yield option investing in domestic energy assets. Starting at $5,000, you can earn 9% annual interest with a three-year term A term Reg A-plus offering paid monthly. Start earning these high yields and learn more about multiple offerings today at phxonair.com. Look, I'll tell you, I'm an investor in the Phoenix Capital Group personally, so I believe in what they're doing. I've put capital to work with them, and I think they do a great job. But you can learn more yourself. Download the free investment packet today. Go to phxonair.com. Learn how you can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 13% annual interest. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. But visit phxonair.com today. Do your homework, do your due diligence, and check out this company. The voices of sanity in an insane world. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 
One more time, 833-995-GOLD. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For $20 a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my cell phone company, Pure Talk. You'll get the same quality of service as AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, but for half the cost, the average size family saves almost $1,000 a year, all with no contracts and no activation fees. You can keep your cell phone number and your phone or get great deals on the latest iPhones and Androids. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values, who supports our military and veterans, creates American jobs, and refuses to advertise on fake news networks. Go to puretalk.com slash buck to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash buck. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. Senator Ron Johnson joins us right now from the great state of Wisconsin. Senator, appreciate you being with us, sir. I want to I want to hop right into it. You have a piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal along with Mike Gallagher. Repeal the 1974 budget law that fuels the shutdown cycle. I got to tell you, Senator. You know, Clay and I are in the politics business, but we're also in the uh, in the entertainment and, and information business, obviously. Um, and the whole, all oh, the shutdowns coming, all oh, the shutdowns coming. The boy has cried wolf too many times. People tune out. They don't care. And the sense has become they're just going to, they, the politicians are just going to keep spending. How do we, how do we change that? Yeah. First of all, the shutdown politics is ridiculous. Uh, the few times we've shut the government down is you shut down about 10%. Uh, if it's the Democrat administration, they make it as painful as possible. So, I would think reporters are getting sick of reporting on it, so let's just do away with it. There's an easy way of doing it, just have automatic continuing resolutions, which would put an awful lot of pressure on the appropriations process to start going about its business a lot earlier in the year so we're not sitting here passing our first appropriation bill a couple of weeks before the end of the fiscal year. Which, by the way, so as grotesquely as dysfunctional as Washington, D.C. is, people need to realize we have a very well-honed process for mortgaging our children's future, and we're watching it play out right now. Again, you, you really don't start the appropriations process till a couple of weeks before the end of the fiscal year. Force yourself to do an automatic CR of some type or, you know, a continuing resolution. Uh, you always have that thing uh, 
expire right before Thanksgiving or on Christmas Eve. You put a lot of pressure. You, you develop through, you know, the appropriation committee. So a couple staff members, a few powerful members in Washington, the president, the majority, minority leader of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, they come up with a two, 3,000 page massive on the spending bill. You pass it in a couple days and you forget about it. You move on. So you don't give any scrutiny to, to, to all these, uh, you know, this massive spending that's completely out of control. So again, as a business guy, this is an un, just an alternate universe here in Washington, D.C. So you've got to bring some order. You have to bring more process to this. So you, you start at least you know, breaking these bills into 12 separate bills, giving them a couple of weeks floor time so that you really can start providing scrutiny to the ridiculous spending that's being proposed and being passed year after year. Talking to Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, you have a business background, which is all too rare, it feels like to me. You've had to make payroll. You understand how business works. What do you think someone looking at the United States budget and books would say purely from a business perspective about the state that our country's in? It's bankrupt. I mean, in, in 2002, we passed the $2 trillion a year spending Rubicon. $2 trillion in 2002. 17 years later, in 2019, before the, the COVID pandemic, we spent $4.4 trillion. So then we had this massive spending spree during COVID, you know, the COVID relief uh, packages. Uh, we pretty well settled on a $6.4 trillion baseline spending. Now, we, we ramped up spending by almost $2 trillion per year in just four years, and the Uniparty is okay with it, I guess. Uh, so, no, people from the outside looking in understand that America is destroying itself from within. I've said this in the past. If if you were given the task of developing a strategy to destroy this country, you'd be hard-pressed to come with a better game plan than what President Biden and Democrats and the Uniparty is implementing. So you start off by mortgaging our kids' future, drive us, our debt up to $33 trillion with no end in sight. Uh, you, you withdraw from Afghanistan that dangerous surrender that emboldens our enemies. You drive up uh, int- inflation so that a dollar you helped start the Biden administration is only worth 85 cents. You go on a war on fossil fuel that powers our economy. You open up our borders, flood America with illegal immigrants and deadly drugs. You know, you know th- th- this administration is causing America to circle the drain. And our enemies and our adversaries see it, which is why they're on the move in Ukraine. And Hamas is on its move out of Gaza and, you know, that that horrific terrorist attack. But when America is weak, the world is a more dangerous place, and the Biden administration leftists have weakened America and made the world a more dangerous place. Senator Johnson, do you think that Republicans really have the the stomach to do what is necessary to turn this around, though? I mean, we've been talking about how much money is being spent, and the debt has been a, a central issue for Republicans in politics for really as long as I've been alive. But going just back to the Tea Party era of 2010, uh, that was the primary issue, right? Under the Obama administration, we're spending too much money. On well, the last year of Trump, I think we spent $6 trillion, right, uh, additional. And now under Biden, we've spent trillions and trillions more. It just feels like uh, this is a problem that everybody knows exists, but I'm not convinced that people uh, people want to deal with it until they realize it means there's going to be changes, like they're going to have to change the retirement age, or they're going to have to change the way Medicare is structured with means testing. Or you know what I mean? It just feels like we're chasing our tail with this a lot of the time. 
Well, the public does need to understand why a dollar they held at the start of the Biden administration is only worth 85 cents. It's a massive deficit spending. So the public has to be educated. They need to support people you know, like Jim Jordan to become speaker. And again, I think with the correct leadership, with dedicated leadership, fiscal conservatives, I think we can turn this thing around. But we can't be led by members of the Uniparty. And so that's why I've been such a strong supporter of Jim Jordan, who to me is you know, not only incredibly intelligent, a true fiscal conservative, but a very practical individual. You know, I got here in 2011. Jim was in the House. You know, together we were working on something called cut, cap, and balance, would put pressure on leadership to eventually pass the Budget Control Act, which actually reduced discretionary spending three years in a row. Now, Congress weaseled out of it. The Uniparty figured out how to get by sequester. But that's the kind of leadership you need. Again, I, I, just, I just hope the House gets this act together. I hope House members uh, elect Jim as Speaker. He's a very practical individual. He's, he's about achievable goals, but he's a true fiscal conservative. His, his instincts are on the right side. And when I say that, I mean his instincts are to stop the mortgaging of our children's future. And he's incredibly articulate. And I think he'd be able to explain that to the American public, unlike uh, previous speakers. Senator, I saw the CDC bragging that 2% of the American public so far has gotten their updated COVID booster shot. Now, I know you're an NFL fan. You've probably seen these ridiculous Travis Kelsey commercials. No telling what Pfizer is spending on those things on a uh, on a week-to-week basis. But what does it tell you so far that 98% of Americans are saying, yeah, I think I've done enough. I'm not going to go get the COVID booster. Well, it tells you that people like uh, you two, uh, people like myself, uh, Peter McCulloch, uh, you know, the, the other brave doctors who are willing to tell the truth during uh, the COVID pandemic and, you know, lay out the fact that, you know, there are, there are COVID vaccine injuries. They are causing death. They are causing permanent disability. And I think more and more people are awakening to that fact as much as it's being blocked and censored by the mainstream media, the COVID cartel. You know, you, you see the surveys. Most Americans know somebody who's injured by the COVID, COVID vaccine. And so they're saying, yeah, maybe thought it was a good idea back there when, when I was scared, you know, what was from, from the pandemic as, as the COVID cartel fear-mongered about a pandemic that ended up being, you know, maybe may worse than a bad flu season, but not much worse. Okay? If you were young and healthy, COVID was not something really to worry too much about is the vulnerables, the elderly, people with certain comorbidities. So, as much as the COVID cartel has censored the truth, I think the truth has gotten out, which is the reason I, I'd imagine the uptake of these uh, boosters are is, is really pretty measly. Senator Ron Johnson, appreciate you being with us, sir. Have a great day. Look, when guys go looking for solutions to have more energy and stamina, it's because a lot of the stuff that's out there isn't really working for them. You know, uh, another cup of coffee, another energy drink, perhaps. It's just not cutting it and can actually make you feel worse in the long run. The better solution is from Chalk. Try their Male Vitality Stack. It's a supplement set formulated with natural ingredients to fuel your body with the good stuff. Look, we're all chemistry experiments walking around, believe it or not. Chemistry, biochemistry is essential. It affects how you think. It affects how you feel. And if you put the right stuff in your body, it has a huge effect on focus, energy, stamina, you name it. You want to be able to replenish testosterone specifically in a guy's body as he gets older. Testosterone is a source of energy and vitality. So when you've got enough testosterone, you've got the energy and focus to accomplish a whole lot more with each day. That's where chalk comes in. They want to help guys get a little extra oomph, a little extra 
you you know a little extra uh, focus and and uh, and drive in their day. Go to chalk.com, C-H-O-Q.com. Save 35% on your subscription for life when you use my name, Buck, in your purchase process. That's chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Use the name Buck for 35% off, C-H-O-Q.com. Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Stay current with what Clay and Buck are saying on TV. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. Welcome back in. Hour number three, Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show, Monday edition of the program. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. There's been a lot of news that we've been tracking throughout the course of the show. Let me just hit a little bit of it with you right off the top. Jim Jordan potentially could become Speaker of the House, Ohio Congressman. You have heard him many times on this program. They are bringing it to a floor vote tomorrow at noon Eastern. It is possible while we are live on this show that we could have a new Speaker of the House. Republicans seem to be coalescing around Jim Jordan. Uh, I want to give you the latest on that. He's down to only needing around 10 votes. That's all that have not endorsed him publicly. We are going to be talking with Julie Kelly There has been a gag order imposed by Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C. on Donald Trump for his criminal trial against Jack Smith, which is presently scheduled to take place on March the 4th. This gag order raises all sorts of complicated legal issues. And if you are a young person out there listening to us, and I know there are a lot of you, a lot of the Rush babies continue to listen in their cars, And you're interested in the practice of law. I can tell you as a sitting attorney that truly so many of these issues that we are facing and are going to face over the next year, not only with Donald Trump, but also with Joe Biden and the classified document investigation, which appears to be picking up attention uh, that Robert Hur is conducting as the independent counsel with Hunter Biden, with pardons in general. Buck, we are rapidly approaching one of the most uncertain, tumultuous periods in the history of the nation on many fronts over the next 13 months, and there is so little precedent to even point to that predicting exactly what is going to happen is very certain, not even factoring in the health of Joe Biden or the health of Donald Trump or another war. The unknown unknowns out there, uh, they are very real, Uh, I think. One of the biggest uh, challenges that people can already foresee with all of this is we talk about the precedents and and the Rubicon crossing and all of this stuff. Um, going forward after this election, there will be an ability to say, you know what? Forget about beating this guy the old-fashioned way by convincing more people to vote. Maybe we can get a uh, a partisan hack DA somewhere. Or maybe we can get some really ambitious federal prosecutor to bring charges against against the other guy. Um, and this has been going on for some time. And uh, I, I think that that's to the detriment of the country that this is where where we are where we are heading. I also, Clay, if I could, I, I wanted to point out that the left wing protesters yes. and and all the stuff that's it's here. It's also in the UK. It's in Australia. It's in a lot of the Western world. These people that are coming forward. Over the weekend, uh, Bill Maher on his show, uh, I think he had a moment where, you know, cause I've been saying 
that this is a faction that exists within the uh, Democrat ranks and has for a long time, which is definitely true, and that it comes from a combination of their um, anti-racism, anti-colonialism, and anti-Semitism. It really brings together a bunch of these different ideas, right? They would say they're not anti-Semitic, but I'm here to say they are. Bill Maher is kind of like, whoa, um, the left-wing anti-Semite faction is... uh not necessarily very small, is it? Religious tolerance. That doesn't exist in Gaza. You're either Muslim or an infidel, and you better be a Muslim. Pedophilia. I'll put that under don't ask. Child brides and so forth. Equality of the sexes. I'll categorize that under don't make me laugh. The fact that, you know, these people think that this is where they should be aligned with, that these are the values that you support? I think this, this past week has been a real important moment for a moral reckoning on the American left. Because there is a small, and I'm going to emphasize that, a very small but growing and extremely loud faction on the American left that has revealed itself. I don't know how to small be, anymore. Okay. And I, I think that's an it's important small. I don't think it's small. I, I think it's a pretty, I think we're talking... 15%, 10% of the, of the Democrat base, maybe 20% of think, the Democrat I think, base. I think it's 20%. You know, which is, which really aligns with the, the far left. I think the radical left is overwhelmingly anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. Um, and, and I think that there's a moment here. There's a gut check moment for a lot of people because if you cannot see a, if you cannot see this issue, with some moral clarity, given what just happened to Israelis, to, to women and children and, and defenseless civilians, what can you see with moral clarity? I mean, you you start to ask the question, like, what what would have to happen for there to be condemnation of Hamas from some of these people? If you're not going to condemn Hamas and its actions after this, someone's that, that person's not condemning Hamas no matter what they do. Hamas would have to have a, a faction of white supremacists. As a, I mean, it's it's ridiculous to kind of mock, but if white people had been responsible uh, to doing to Jews what Hamas did, Joe Biden would have called out the National Guard and the FBI would have been knocking on doors and dragging people who voted for Donald Trump out of their house even more than they're already doing. You know, you're actually also pointing out something with this, which is that part of the a big part of the way the left frames the issue of Israel-Palestine is it's is it's white, uh, white against Correct. brown oppression. Yes. Israelis, first of all, uh, there are over a million Arab uh, Muslims living in and there's there's actually there's Christian Arabs as well, but uh, living in Israel proper and yes. happily doing so. Right. They're owning yep. businesses and they're living as you know, citizens. They're voting. Yes, they're, they're doing. Fine, um, yeah. There's there's also a whole range of ethnicities within Judaism. I mean, there's Ashkenazi Jews, there's Mizrahi Jews, there's there are Ethiopian Jews, there's all these different categories. And, and, and these are people of very different ethnicities and skin colors, depending on, you know, who we're talking about. Um, but the binary of, of white oppressor and brown victim is central to the left's categorization of these really Palestinians. I've met Pal, I mean, I've met Palestinians with red hair and blue eyes, by the way, who are as white as, as you and I. You know, so yeah. it is not as simple as, as people want to do. It's kind of crazy even talking about it in that context, but that's, that's they make the, it in the, the left in this country views this through a racial lens, which is why they are, it's so impossible to get them 
to look at some of the realities and nuances and, and truths of the issue. Buck, I felt like I looked into the future because I saw this all happen in sports. If you were a black quarterback, Rush saw it a long time ago. Remember when Rush got absolutely castigated? He went on ESPN and talked about Donovan McNabb, and his opinion was considered unacceptable to have. And I saw it happen in sports where a story would happen, and in sports media, the prism under which it was analyzed would entirely be race-based. You saw this happen to you, the thing you've probably gotten the most criticized for, in two and a half years on this program, for people who don't remember it, this was probably like the, what the first couple of months we did the show. Yeah, Clay, what did Clay, you Clay, say? Clay, let me run across the middle through a wobbly pass and let me just get my clock cleaned. But I'm very um, supportive of and attuned to people dealing with mental health issues. Yeah. I think of it as as important and the same as physical health issues. I cast no judgment on anyone whatsoever. Uh, for their mental health struggles. I think everybody should view it the same way that you would, you know, you know, you, you would, you wouldn't mock somebody if they had the flu. Why would you mock them if they're dealing with, you know, being bipolar or whatever? Um, so that all said though, Simone Biles had pulled out of an event for mental health issues and they were just saying that it was super, it was super brave and courageous and, and courageous. And, and all I said at the time was I was like, I mean, I, I support her pulling out if she's having issues, but I mean, I, I don't know if, this you would is, never say if somebody had a broken leg, it was courageous that they didn't play and participate, right? Like, make whatever choices you want. But the idea that this is in some way not competing by your own voluntary choice is in some way courageous and heroic or brave was crazy. And but, I actually got criticized for that on the Bill Maher show. So now you're bringing it all full circle. No, full circle. So what's interesting about this, too, is if Simone Viles was not black, I think that story would have gotten a pinprick of the attention because people in sports lined up and they said as it's as if you she, she's a black allowed. female superstar Correct. athlete, probably the greatest gymnast of all time. But there was a political incentive to push the oh, she's so brave as well. And, I mean, and also she's getting attacked because she's a black woman and oh, a white guy said it. And so you're not allowed to have an opinion on a sports-related issue based on what your own identity. I'm not just pointing to you. This happens all the time in sports, and I saw it happen, and I couldn't believe that it was happening where suddenly you couldn't say, hey, I think that guy's not a very good quarterback without people saying, oh, you're just saying that because he's black. We also right? have a conception in this country. You know, We talk about anti-colonial, you know, the anti-colonial aspect. That's really for college campuses. Um, the anti-Semitism component, that's, people understand that's been around for, well, for a very long time. Um, but, but there's also, uh, the Islamophobia, uh, residual concept of Islamophobia where the belief somehow is that while Islam has a couple of billion adherents globally, it is, an, it is a religion of the oppressed. This is what is believed in the West. Yeah. Which is remarkable because you sit there and you say, isn't this the largest single religious faith tradition on the planet and has many, many large, incredibly powerful states that are entirely devoted to it. And, you know, you go down the list, you say, this is a religion of the oppressed in the Western mindset because Islam is not a majority in the United States and because this concept of Islamophobia, which I think is meant to avoid some uncomfortable discussions about what was going on within the Islamic faith, particularly in the 9-11 era and beyond, uh, that... That, you know, residual, that, that continued, um, approach to the issue is why you just can't get people to, 
see that what they're what they're supporting with Hamas is is it's as bad. I mean, it's it's ISIS level stuff. It's Al Qaeda level stuff. They can't get past the racism angle. They're yeah. going to support the brown person against the white person, no matter what the facts are. And this is why and the Muslims against and the Muslims against that's, the Jews. That's, yeah. yeah, that's also. Do people who are on the far left have any idea what Muslims actually believe? That's what's always been like staggering to me because there is, and what's interesting about this buck is it's only the race, yeah. right? Well, I can because there's you, a huge antipathy on the left towards the Christian faith, which is far more freeing Christian, uh, and embracing of their political ideals than the Muslim faith ever would be. And, and Christian persecution in the Middle East, particularly the last 20 years in countries like Iraq and Syria has been horrific. There's there's been a, effectively an extermination effort among jihadists to get rid of their very old Christian communities, um, stretching back to I mean like as old as Christian communities can be, um, in in some of these places. There's a uh, Chaldean Christians and Assyrian Christians, and these are are different sects in the Middle East, and they have been effectively um, wiped out of some areas of these countries, and you won't hear the left talk about that at all because they think of christians as you know as evangelicals in texas who have too many guns and are you know yeah. doing bad things they don't understand well it's just white people yeah well, and they think of it just as white people they understand there are there are arab christians that are um and, and i mean the first some of the first christians would be you know they're kind of arab or f- from the region uh, depending on who you're talking about um so i, I think it's interesting you know, you look at uh, there's even um, uh, Coptic Christians in Egypt, one of the oldest Christian communities in in the whole world, also under a lot of pressure from uh, Muslim Brotherhood groups and others. So uh, they view this as as though Clay. Uh, this is what I wanted to say: everything that is wrong in Gaza, if you speak to a leftist, everything. It's a the the way it treats its own people, the corruption, the violence, the dysfunction, the celebration of martyrdom as you know, suicide bombers. All of it, the left says is Israel's fault. It's all Israel's fault. Somehow everything that happens in Gaza, the fact that, you know, it's an economic basket case, the fact that there's no rule of law, the fact that it's human rights abuse, it's all Israel's fault. That's what the left says. Have you seen a few of the people in the protests in favor of Hamas and Palestine with the LGBTQ for Palestine signs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would not go well in Gaza for them. Uh, Mia Khalifa, I think is how you pronounce her name. She the, is a quite the, the porn porn. I've heard performer. I've heard that she is quite a popular porn performer. Um, she came out in favor of Palestine, and I think I I think I responded because we had an outkick story up about it. I was like, do Do you think that she would be well received in Gaza? She literally had sex in a hijab. Uh, I don't think uh, on a camera. Uh, I don't think that that would be very well received in Palestine. Now, I bet a bunch of them have seen it, but I don't think publicly that would be very well received. Um, these people are crazy. Uh, every time you use a credit card online, you're taking another small chance with the safety of your online identity. Online identity theft, most often done by cyber hackers, crack, cracking into a computer uh, and stealing your information. If they're not going after the database, they're trying to plant malware, malware on your device by sending you an email you might click on, text message. You know how it works. End result is a cyber hacker pretends to be you online, making off with your money, your identity, one way or another. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. 
Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock. 24-7 systems look for evidence your information is being used without your permission. And if you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Join now and save 25% off your first year with promo code CLAY. 1-800-LIFELOCK. You can go online to LifeLock.com and use the promo code CLAY for 25% off. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to date HealthLock has helped its members save over 130 million dollars bottom line insurance alone isn't enough to save visit healthlock.com do it today before you see another health care provider that's healthlock.com Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For $20 a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my cell phone company, Pure Talk. You'll get the same quality of service as AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, but for half the cost. The average size family saves almost $1,000 a year, all with no contracts and no activation fees. You can keep your cell phone number and your phone or get great deals on the latest iPhones and Androids. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values, who supports our military and veterans, creates American jobs, and refuses to advertise on fake news networks. Go to puretalk.com slash buck to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash buck. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Uh, we are joined now by our friend Julie Kelly, who is doing 
some of the best work out there in the entire country. She runs Declassified with Julie Kelly, the Substack. She also has good taste in steak and bourbon, based on the photos that I see her occasionally post on social media when she is not covering all the insanity in our court system. All right, so let's start here, Julie. For our audience out there, we filled them in on the gag order that Judge Chutkin has put in place. Uh, I believe you are in D.C. right now. What does this mean? What is the impact? What should everyone know about what happened earlier today? So first of all, I want to say the coverage that indicates that this is somehow a limited or narrow gag order is pure BS from the news media, who is doing nothing more than DOJ and Judge Judge Chutkin's uh, water carrying. It is not by any stretch limited or narrow in scope. We're talking about an unprecedented order from Judge Tanya Chutkin, appointed by Barack Obama, uh, quite frankly, not not born here. She uh, came here as an adult to go to law school. Uh, and now she is silencing, for the first time ever this has happened, silencing a presidential, a former president, and now presidential candidate, from speaking about the very same prosecutorial abuse and election interference that prompted DOJ to go after him in the first place. I'm telling you, you guys know, and I'm so grateful for you guys covering my work. I've gone to a lot of trials, a lot of court hearings. My jaw's always on the floor when I see what's happening in this D.C. courthouse. But today just took it to an entirely different level. And to hear this Department of Justice prosecutors and Judge Chutkin discussing what they believe Donald Trump should be able to post on social media, what he should and shouldn't be able to say about Joe Biden or the DOJ, or Jack Smith, or people who live in Washington, D.C. It was a surreal experience today. Julie, um, I really appreciate your work, and, and thanks again for being here. I, I just got to ask you the question that Clay and I were uh, dealing with before, which is, what do you think happens if Trump violates this gag order? Because we both think Trump's going to violate the gag order. <laughs> Well, look, here, here's the thing. He probably will violate it, and it may not even be intentional. The frightening part about this order, you guys, is that there's no clarity on exactly what a disparaging or inflammatory post would be. It's all subject to Judge Chutkin, a highly biased, by the way, far-left radical judge uh, who has already expressed, uh, you know, biased comments about Donald Trump in other J6 proceedings. So it's up to her interpretation. So that is going to be the gray area here. And my expectation is that this DOJ and Jack Smith will just continually file motions for contempt against Donald Trump uh, for any comments that he makes about the case, et cetera. What they did discuss today and they didn't resolve is what the penalties will be and what Assistant U.S. Attorney Molly Gaston, who, by the way, was one of the two prosecutors who refused to prosecute Andrew McCabe for lying to the FBI under oath. Um, she suggested things like fines, moving up the trial date and even something like home detention. This is the slippery slope where we are. This is not the final stage of this. This is only the beginning of how this DOJ with Judge Chutkin is going to not just continue to silence Trump, but seek penalties and contempt of court 
violations against him and then further curtail his freedom of speech and political uh, activity. Julie, do you get any sense uh, for whether this case is likely to start on March 4th or not? Um, And the reason why I ask that, obviously, is we're in the middle of the Republican primary season still on March 4th. But if it happens on March 4th, then they could potentially get a verdict on Trump before the actual election takes place. Do you and your talks get any update on, I mean, less than six months, I think, from now would be the, the start of this trial, whether that's the expectation? Judge Chutkin said a few times today that she is not going to be moving the trial date. Of course, John Loro, Trump's attorney, said the solution to all of this is to postpone it until after the election. And she would interrupt him and make clear, no, I'm not moving this trial date. But as we've discussed before, and we're getting closer to a decision by the Supreme Court, if they if they take up this obstruction of an official proceeding count, 1512C2, which really represents the heart of Jack Smith's four-count indictment against Donald Trump. If the Supreme Court signaled that they're going to take that up, they want to look at the D.C. Circuit, the appellate court ruling that allowed this to continue for J6 cases. Jack Smith is going to be put on notice that one or maybe two, because there's also a 1512 count, there's two 1512 counts, one or two of the counts, half of his indictment basically could be upended by the Supreme Court. What does he do then? Does he proceed? Does he add charges as we've talked about? I still think that's a possibility, a superseding indictment. He still has not indicted the other six uh, co-conspirators that he named in the original indictment. A lot of things can still happen between now and then. So it looks like for appearances, they're trying to act like this March 2024 trial date is going to happen. I just don't see with all of this going on and this big question mark with the Supreme Court of one of those four counts uh, that this actually will happen on, uh, you know, five months from now. Is it going to happen next year, Julie? Is the D.C. trial going to occur in your mind before the election? Yes, that I believe that it will. Whether it's, you know, won't be March, it could be moved, uh, you know, another month or two, it could be in the summer. And I know everyone is thinking, well, you can't do that in a presidential election. You know, DOJ guidelines say nothing. This is a rogue courthouse. Okay. There are no rules that apply. There's no law that applies. We saw the Constitution once again totally desecrated in this courtroom today. And Judge Chutkin is so gratified by her role here. She's constantly interrupting the defense team. She's pointing at him, at, at John Loro, raising her voice at him. They're getting into these political semantic debates. This is not about protecting the process. It's certainly not about protecting the defendant, which is the judge's job, by the way. She is supposed to protect the defendant from government overreach. She is nothing more than another prosecutor. She's she's another prosecutor for the government side. She's protecting none of Donald Trump's rights. Um, And so that's sort of um, the situation uh, where we are. And so given that, it's hard to see that this uh, trial commences in March, but certainly in 2024. And they could just move it to maximize more political damage against Trump. Julie, what do you think the Supreme Court justices are thinking here? Uh, because let me just kind of paint the picture for people who haven't spent a lot of time in D.C. The D.C. legal universe is actually very small. 
um, both in terms of numbers of people involved, but also just in terms of physical distance. It isn't very far from the courtroom where you're sitting in D.C. to the Supreme Court. They would have tons of optics on everything that's going on with this Trump case. Uh, is there any possibility the Supreme Court could get involved? I know you talked about a couple of these different counts, but and, and I know there was a motion filed. Maybe I should lead with that part of it. There was a motion filed recently essentially arguing that everything Trump did is a part of the job of a president, and therefore he's not able to be prosecuted based on the civil standard that was put in place as associates to Richard Nixon. Do we get any sense that the Supreme Court may step in here and actually stop this trial from ever happening? I just have no faith that that would be the case. I mean, I think we've all been somewhat disappointed in the outcomes by the Supreme Court related to the 2020 election and other matters. My belief is that people like John Roberts and even Brett Kavanaugh will be very resistant to doing anything that will be that will appear that they're siding with Donald Trump. And to your point, exactly why? You know, this federal courthouse is just a few blocks away from the Supreme Court. These judges are all in cahoots with each other. You know, they all live in the same neighborhoods. D.C. is a relatively small town, smaller city. Most people live outside in the suburbs. So, um, you know, when you call it the swamp, or Donald Trump did, uh, that's actually a nice word for it. So I don't see that happening. The question now that I'm getting, and John Laura, Trump's defense attorney, did suggest this, that they would be appealing this gag order. Yeah. This is breaking new ground. So if it goes to the D.C. Circuit, will they reverse this? Probably not. Um, but then uh, I believe... Obviously, the next step would be the Supreme Court. But the question is, what does Trump do in the interim? Does he abide by this gag order or does he openly violate it and sort of see what DOJ and Judge Chutkin will do from there? I don't know. I think he's going to openly violate it and see what they do. That would be (laughs) I I would bet a lot of money if you gave me odds on that. Um, Okay, last question for you, Julie. Appreciate all the work you're doing. Again, encourage you to all go follow Julie Kelly on Twitter. I just retweeted her. If you're following me, you'll see her there. Um, as we look forward for the, uh, the, the potential March trial date, there are also still these other moving parts. Uh, you've got the South Florida trial, you've got Atlanta, you've got New York City. They're all kind of held in abeyance. Do you think Jack Smith is going to get the first bite at the apple, so to speak, that regardless of what the timing is going to be, that everybody else is clearing uh, the way for him to go first? I believe so, because this is the easiest one, right? This is the layup, not only um, because of the charges, you know, very nebulous charges that with very low burden of proof in Jack Smith's indictment. Uh, you obviously have a judge. They, The judges decide what the jury is going to hear and see, right? So we already know, we could tell that she is going to allow the government to present to the jury whatever they want, and she's going to prevent Donald Trump's defense team from presenting evidence to the jury. That's a lot of what these judges have been doing in January 6 cases. But the big linchpin is he's going to go before a jury made up of residents who live in an almost 100% Democratic city that have open contempt for Donald Trump, particularly related to the events of January 6th. This is going to be an easy conviction. And so, yes, to your point, I think they are clearing the decks for for this to move forward, whether it's March, as I said, April, May. Um, You know, this will be the easiest conviction for any of these prosecutors to get. And by the way, I know I said last question, but I've asked you this before, but I just can't get past how crazy it would be. 
Of the trials that you have seen, what percentage of defendants who are convicted are taken into custody? That are immediately taken in? Yes. Um, let's see. I would say just a handful uh, that, that are taken into custody upon a guilty verdict and then yes. awaiting their sentence. I'm just trying to think if they got the guilty verdict against Trump, what would be the immediate response? Because this is all crazy, but I'm just curious, based on your experience, what the hypothetical would look like. I mean, they very easily could, if he gets a conviction on any of those counts, ask, ask for him to be taken into custody. They just did that with seven pro-life activists, including women in their 70s, who are rotting in that D.C. gulag now. That's what the Department of Justice did. So I think that's an excellent question and a very real possibility. But in the interim, what is this gag order going to result in? Could that result in something like home detention, home incarceration, a curfew? Um, you know, could she throw him in jail on a, a few contempt uh, uh, convictions? So... <laughs> It is. I mean, I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing, but it's really anything goes. But yes, after a conviction. It's all Banana Republic level nonsense. Julie Kelly, keep up the good work. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. That's Julie Kelly. A lot of you out there, by the way, listen to me right now. You got old family memories. Shoebox is full of pictures. How about old VHS tapes? You know, those VHS tapes not designed to last very long. As you come closer to Thanksgiving, get a little bit closer to Christmas, certainly a lot of you, I bet, have some really great family photos of the costumes that you all wore back at Halloween. Why not preserve those forever? Get a digital copy thanks to Legacy Box. Right now, you can go to LegacyBox.com slash Clay. Get 200 photos scanned, digitally preserved forever, starting at just nineteen ninety-five. Don't let time fade your family photographs. Digitize them this fall with Legacy Box's help. Take advantage of the offer right now. Every photo hand-transferred and returned to you along with new digital files. Again, the pricing is low as $0.07 per photo. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Clay. That's LegacyBox.com slash Clay. Geek out with the guys on the Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. A new episode every Sunday. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel the Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel the Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams 
offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, govx.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve.